0: Hello listeners, welcome back to Unfiltered. I'm Sam Jay, one of your co-hosts. Today, Jay and I jumped on a Zoom call and chatted up with Ed Selever. Ed is the craft beer writer for the Denver Business Journal. He does a lot more in terms of bars and restaurants around Denver. Really, really interesting uh, perspective on what's going on, what has gone on since March here because of uh, COVID-19. But Ed is uh, extremely smart and insightful and plugged in journalist and so it was an honor to have him on and I'm going to stop talking and let him do the talking so as always thanks for listening we really appreciate the support and hope everybody's staying safe make sure you wear those masks and that you don't get out unless you absolutely have to get out so uh, just want to say thanks to all of you one more time and take care of yourself and your loved ones
1: Here we go. Yes. I'm okay. going to go first, actually. This one's a completely okay. unscripted shout out because I spent a little time on the phone with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Gregory Oakleaf, and uh, he did not mince words and, and reminded me point blank, hey, I designed that logo for you. So shout out to Oakleaf Creative and the old, oh, that's the wrong hat, unfiltered wrong hat. logo. Yeah, flash the unfiltered when you get a chance. But That's your complimentary Greg, Tivoli hat. So That's right. I'm waiting on my, my, t- my Tivoli uh, gator next. But yeah. Shout out to Greg. Greg, we miss you. We love you.
0: Uh, obviously, you know we'll, we'll start this 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 episode with another sad story, like we did last week. Uh, if you can find the time in the in the dough to send some money to Jason Bueller's family, um, feel free to. Obviously, we would really appreciate that. I know Charlie and our friends over at Denver Beer Co. would appreciate that. You can just go to GoFundMe and search for Jason Bueller, just like Ferris Bueller. Uh, Jay's given some money. I've given some money, um, just because uh, it it sucks to lose a friend. Uh, within the Denver beer uh, uh, scene and all of that stuff. So uh, especially right now as we kind of move into Thanksgiving and how awful that is. So Jason Bueller, uh, go find his family's uh, uh, GoFundMe. Social plugs. Ed, we're going to let you get to yours at the back end of this because you do way more than Jay and I. So, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you remind us to plug this. Uh, you can find us on on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, wherever. You, uh, Chili Booze and Bruce. Jay and I were just talking before Ed jumped on. Uh, We have a couple more weeks, right,
1: Jaybird, to do... I think they're down to two plus, but I also know they've added some contenders. A new distillery popped up the other day, so get your sure. chili brews and booze
0: passports all of the funds go to child cancer research okay so please 100 and a lot of our friends in the distilling world and the craft beer world are participating so please do go to chili and find them on instagram find them on facebook and support that cause and of course if you want uh, to support us you can go to patreon.com slash unfiltered craft before we get to ed We are going to, here in Denver at least, massive restrictions on Friday, which means that a lot of our friends in the businesses that we love, restaurants, uh, bars, breweries, are going to begin to really feel the pinch. And if things weren't tough already, they're going to get tougher. So if you can find a way to support all of our friends out there, I think the three of us agree they are all of our friends, please do that. Uh, Go get Crowlers to go. Uh, go to Molly's. Go to uh, uh, I don't know wherever you you know your local liquor shop and get some some local beer and or you know drop in there get your to go food what have you. Um, I don't think that anybody thinks that the next few weeks are going to be easy because uh, it's going to be rough. So with yeah, that, don't said,
1: hesitate. Don't hesitate to use handoff or drizzly or yes. anybody else that's delivering. Uh, we just had a, a a work call earlier today trying to figure out how to provide a little holiday cheer to our clients. And somebody yeah. said, Hey, why don't we just have booze delivered? And I was like, man, that's genius. So that's brilliant. Hopefully we we'll, yeah, hopefully we'll go that direction. So, uh, uh,
0: so, so with that said, um, let's introduce our guest here. I, I wrote you a whole, uh, I got a paragraph, Edward, uh, Ed Etsy lover. Okay. Uh, went to Northwestern, which is why I put this background up because I actually <laughs> hate Northwestern as an Iowa fan. Um, hey, that's, that's all right. That was a good try you all had at Northwestern. I knew, I knew. <laughs> I oh, knew God. that was coming. <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, folks in Denver would know Ed from, from being at the Denver Business Journal for over 10 years. Uh, beer drinkers would know him from the Beer Run blog. And obviously you're an author. You've written a couple books Colorado excursions with history, hikes, and hops, as well as the Mountain Brew Book. You are probably the most famous person we've ever had on the show, outside of Eno Saris, the athletic that's author.
2: So, or the athletic author. Awful low bar there,
0: clearly. No, no, no. no, no, no.
2: Uh, thank you, Ed, for joining the show, good sir. No, thank you for having me on. It's It's nice to. To talk beer and uh, to give me a reason to to quit work here at five o'clock on a, uh, on a weekday. So
1: hey, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, this is work. You should never, never tell people you're quitting <laughs> work. This is just an extension.
2: Thank you. You're right. It's, it's brand building. Exactly. <laughs> um, there you go. And, and to answer to answer your question, I am drinking a uh, ginger cream ale from Evergreen Brewing. We happened to be hiking down there about a week and a half ago. And whenever we're out somewhere that's outside of our general home range, we like to stop by the nearest brewery, pick up some four packs, bring them back. Uh, And this is a really nice uh, kind of post-hiking easy beer, a good first beer of the evening, as I like to say. Ah, First beer.
1: There you go. Okay. It's the the Amuse-Bouche beer. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's it's the lead to the uh depending on how this conversation goes the uh the more alcoholic second one i'll go with yes
1: i guarantee i guarantee it's going off the tracks early so don't you know, don't hesitate to pour a stronger beer uh ed what is
0: let's i mean i give you a, a, a quick intro but can you explain to our listeners who the hell you are and why you would be on the show
2: um you think? Uh, I am somebody who struck at the right time to take my passion for drinking and turn it into a, a sort of profession. Way back in 2003, I was working at the Colorado Springs Gazette, covering City Hall there, and we had a wine columnist. And I went to my entertainment editor and I said, look, we absolutely need to start doing a beer column. And actually, there was nobody, I believe, that was doing a beer column in the state of Colorado at the time. She said, yes, you're right. I got a, uh, what was then a a monthly beer column uh, in the Gazette. Uh, And uh, when I left a number of years later, turned it into a blog. And now that I'm at the Denver Business Journal, uh, I write about it professionally. It's one of my many beats here at the DVJ covering the beverage industry. So it's not just about searching for great beers, but searching for great business models, searching for troubled business models, explaining to people how the industry works, um and uh, along the way i've written as you mentioned two books uh, the first one in 2011 it was a guide to all 101 breweries that were open in the state at that time which seems like such a, a minuscule number compared to the 400 or so we've got now and then 2016 which was my compendium of 30 days traveling around the state stopping at a brewery, a hiking spot, and a historical spot each day. So uh, generally, uh, who the hell I am is I'm a guy who loves beer and has tried to find as many ways as possible to talk about it so that we can get beer drinking out the greater public lexicon and make people think about what it means to support your local breweries.
0: So we don't like to just talk about only beer. So let's back up a little bit. Where are you from? And how, I mean, you're obviously a smart guy if you got a Northwestern's journalism school. So tell us, before you even got into Colorado, or I guess what brought you to Colorado? Let's get there. Well, I, uh, I am originally
2: from Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, as you mentioned, went to Northwestern University in Chicago or outside of Chicago. Uh, spent about five and a half years at papers in Arkansas and South Carolina, working my way up uh, finally to the Gazette in 2000. Uh, moved on to the dearly departed Rocky Mountain News in 2008, uh, and when that closed, I uh, managed to land at the DBJ, where I've been ever since 2009. Um, what brought me to Colorado, frankly, was the job. Um, I saw an opportunity out here, wanted to work for a bigger paper, took it. Um, but I had been out in New Mexico for an internship when I was in college and had really gotten kind of the land um, stuck in me at that time. And I said, if I can ever get back to the Rocky Mountains, I am going back. So it was, um, it was a long time coming and um, I knew quickly I wasn't going to leave and I haven't left. Uh, I married a, uh, a Denver native. And so this is uh, this is home for me now. Oh,
1: we call those unicorns. When you marry, when you find a Denver native, that's a like a legit unicorn right there.
2: I, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to uh, glom onto her
0: in-state
1: credibility here. Yeah, you know? ride her coattails to nativeness. I gotcha. That's my wife. Did the same thing to me. So
0: we totally a, get it. What a catch you are, too.
1: Yeah, well, I'm telling you, man, you got to marry what you can get your hands on these days. So, yeah. um, so Ed, 2003. What, what was, what, what did a beer column look like in 2003? Yeah. I mean, you said it yourself, it was a monthly, I feel like now prior to maybe prior to March, a beer column could be a, a at least a weekly thing, if not almost daily. But what were you writing about back in '03? I mean, especially in Colorado Springs. What kind of beer was there in the springs
2: in colorado springs in 03 i was writing about the six breweries that were operating at the time but i tried to give wow. it a bit of a a, a statewide <laughs> angle as well and even some national you know i would do things like road trips to fort collins i mean this is back when fort collins had about seven breweries in it and i would be like oh if you're going to a csu game here are the breweries you need to check out things like that um, but it was really fun to watch the evolution of the scene. I mean, I, you knew back in the early 2000s, craft beer was not going away. And it was, uh, it was exciting to see how breweries were experimenting. We in Colorado Springs at the time had, you know, we had an adjunct brewer still. Uh, we had some very traditional brewers. And, and this was really the time that Bristol Brewing kind of broke out of its shell and was doing some crazy experimental things, at least for the 2003 world. And it was fascinating to to watch what breweries could do. You know, this is—I uh, I don't think people really understood what a sour was back in two thousand and three, um, and double IPAs were still just a rumor at that point. Um, and so, uh, to, to watch it evolve over the years—I mean, it, it was fun to, to set up what what brewing could be and to get people excited
0: about it. So, what were you? Bristol. About? That's a oh no, you're good. You're good. No, Bristol's a great one, but I guess yeah. Sorry, Jane, I need to be better at our texting here if we can stay on the same page. <laughs> you know, prior to the, to the beer blog, though, what were you writing about? I mean, why, why were you brought into Colorado Springs? Just business stuff? Oh, uh, no. I actually, um, I
2: didn't start writing about business until I ended up at the DBJ in 2009. I am a uh, lifelong government reporter. So I was brought in to write about City Hall. I covered the congressional race in that district. I covered the Senate race in 2002. Things like that. I, I have generally been a political and government reporter all my life. And so that was, uh, that was what uh, the Gazette brought me in for.
1: And... and- Beer, beer, and booze in general are a natural segue when you're when you're dealing with politics. At least, at least in the modern 2020 version of politics, you gotta have a little something to get through the election. I'm sure. So,
2: oh, it's it's always been needed. Um, you know, I, I like I like to think it goes together well. Not only because um, you know. We, you want to drink a lot of times after sitting through a city council or a state legislative hearing. Um, But also back in those days, you would go out and work out your issues with drinks. I mean, I remember back in 2007, which is the first year I covered the Colorado legislature, it was very common to go out uh, to a nearby bar, share beers with members from both parties who would sit there and talk things out afterwards. Now, I don't see that as much anymore. But back then, beer was a natural product of covering politics because politics flocked to beer to kind of salve the differences and try to figure out where to go from there.
0: That's well, interesting. How much of an influence was Hunter Thompson on you then, even growing up?
2: I, I'm not going to say he was much of an influence, actually. Really? I, okay. I think, I think um, you know, Michael Jackson uh, yep. Yep. Uh, the beer writer for anybody who was doubting that one um, uh, was more of an influence on me uh, as he was the person who was really the first one to put out the, uh, the idea of, Hey, you can write about beer. We can really dive into yeah. depth about beer here. But a lot of it was just my own experimenting and wanting to get out and, and, and find what I could. I mean, even back in college, uh, our our liquor store in in Evanston, Illinois had a mix of six cooler back in the early nineties. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and I would spend my money for my student campus job, uh, trying out these beers, these rare beers back in those days, Sam Adams, Honey Porter, or a Beta Turbo Dog, or Shellis White. Um, and I just wanted to kind of dive in myself and, and find the industry.
0: What was the beer that kind of got you so infatuated with this industry that you wanted to write about it? Was there a particular beer? Was it a series of beers? I guess, was it an experience? I don't know that there was a beer
2: that made me want to write about it. I always credit a beat of Turbo Dog as being the one that that made me want to Keep drinking. I mean, at that point, uh, you know, it's such a bold, dark flavor. And, and if you drink a beat at TurboDog today, it's probably on the lighter side of the Stout Porter uh, um, spectrum. But back then in 1993, when I was, um, you know, I think statute of limitations has run out, so I can say safely, I was literally using my fake ID to buy craft beer from the Mix of Six cooler when I was in college. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Times, it was a radical beer. And just, you know, as I went on and, and working in Arkansas and South Carolina in the late 1990s, uh, I got to say, those were beer wastelands there. I mean, it's a great states with great breweries now, um, but it just stuck in my mind. And when I moved to Colorado, it was Bristol especially that I spent a lot of time going to um and and trying out whether it be a scottish ale or or a wheat or anything they were putting out and it it just made me fascinated with the taste of beer and what
0: beer could be that's pretty rad i dig that okay so you get out here um um you know you go to rocky mountain news and then what when you had transitioned to dbj what kind of conversation did you have there with the editor in terms of what you wanted to do to become the person that you are now over the last 10 years like how how does that conversation happen well i mean just as far as the beer conversation happens it shows
2: why i'm an awful negotiator because i went in (laughs) and, and rather than as he sat down and offered me the job rather than begging for a higher salary i said look i have seen that you all don't cover the beer industry and i want to take that on as a beat and he said Okay sure so you know there you go more work less pay it was great um but um <laughs> but but in general um uh, even beyond beer the uh, the late uh, great Neil Westergaard who passed away a couple of years ago <clears throat> um had Recognized me not because I wrote business. I didn't write this. I didn't cover business with the Rocky Mountain News. I was their state legislative bureau head. Okay. Um, and uh, but he had said, I want to bring you in and I want you to cover the intersection of government and business like we haven't done it before. And uh, and to me, that was a great opportunity to, A, move away from the parts of politics that I hated. And in the last week I was at the Rocky Mountain News, I sat through a nine and a half hour uh, committee hearing on the death penalty when everybody knew what the outcome was going to be. And, and so I didn't have to cover that anymore. Now I could get into, you know, tax issues and regulatory issues and things where people aren't set in their ways. Um, But it also, you know, between that and the beer, it let me know I could carve my own path and I could really try to find this new way to speak about uh, issues that people didn't think of as traditional business issues in a business way. And I love the idea of going in and understanding why breweries made it, why breweries didn't make it, because that was still a time when a lot of breweries weren't making it. And and how I could bring that across to the public? Why this is such an important industry? You know, even if it's not, say, the aerospace industry or or, or the the tech industry to Colorado, it's still very important to what we do out here and why industries relocate here.
1: Do you think Ed, since since you picked up the beat with the DBJ, I mean, have have the pages on the and the print actually increased to cover more and more beer over the last? five to 10 years, because it is obviously such a huge component or intersection, like you said, of of business and and beer at the same time. I I work in business banking. So I I see it constantly that that businesses our beer is just like any other business, frankly, in this town. I mean, if it's, if it's a successful, stable business, there's something to talk about there, whether it's beer or roofing or, you know, Seamstress and business is business at that point. So
2: I certainly won't take credit for increasing the number of, of pages dedicated to it, but I certainly uh I come back with lots of beer stories all the time. And whether that be, you know, covering Molson course, which I did a lot more extensively before they decided to move their headquarters to, to Chicago, or covering the craft beer industry, which I don't think the paper had really ever tried to do before and, and to put into, you know perspective, hey, this is a $3 billion industry here in Colorado every year, um, I, I certainly I certainly think they've been more open to it. I mean, it's become kind of a, a tradition frankly, up until this year uh, that, you know, we would have a big cover story around the Great American Beer Festival, not about the festival, but about something in the beer industry uh, that people should be thinking about while the entire world was converging on on Denver for a weekend. And and, and I'll say this, uh, I, I think if, if if I've helped at all get beer news into the paper, I hope that I've also helped some of the other emerging industries come up. I mean, we, we tend to cover... Uh, marijuana pretty seriously as a business. Now, I don't, but another reporter does. Um, and, and I think, you know, being able to come out and say, look, beer is business. It's not just what you do to go out with your friends after work, probably help them realize, hey, marijuana is a serious business too, when that became a
1: legitimate business here in Colorado. And, and you're saying uh, that the beer alone is responsible for $3 billion in, in bottom line impact to the state. Is that right? Annually?
2: Yeah, that's what I've seen in past. And, and, and we haven't seen some of the really extensive studies that the Colorado Brewers Guild used to do with the lead school of business at CU. But some of the extrapolations that the Brewers Association, which, of course, is based here in Boulder, have done, have put this at a 3 to $3.2 billion business, um, not just because of the direct sales of craft brew, um, but because of the, uh, the jobs it creates beyond that in, in liquor stores and in distribution, in restaurants that specialize in it, um, and, and just the, the economic byproduct it creates. I mean, one thing that's important to remember is that uh, craft beer actually um, it may not make as much beer as big beer does here in the state, but it employs a lot more people uh, because it's so hands-on as compared to, say, the, uh, the Budweiser plant up in Fort Collins. And so, yeah, it's 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 a multi-billion-dollar business here in
1: Colorado. So, I have one more question that may or may not be easily answered. But at three billion in change, what what other niche industry or market would would craft beer compare to locally in Colorado? I mean, who else is 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 generating that kind of bottom line impact around the state? Or well, what
2: else? I mean, it's 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 not. It's not quite there, but it's not far from skiing, actually. I mean okay. think wow. about it, I mean, we are the number one wintertime destination. I mean, when people traveled. I know that's an old fashioned idea now. Hey, what is uh, but this? when people used to travel, <laughs> we were the number one wintertime destination state in America and people came here for the skiing. Skiing's about a five point two, five point three billion dollar industry. Uh, the last time I, I wrote about its economic impact. But you know craft beer is is two thirds of skiing. Think of that, and that is what defines Colorado in many ways is our skiing industry. Craft beer is closing in on that.
1: That's awesome to hear, actually, because we more than once have have drawn a direct line between craft beer and the ski and outdoor sports industry on this show, just because obviously, much like you're saying, politics uh, takes a beer every now and then. I mean, obviously, a beer at the end of the day skiing is a is a huge. Uh, part of your day. So that, that's, that's I, I'm excited to actually hear that comparison.
2: And, and one of the things I asked when I wrote my first book in 2011 was why did Colorado become such a, a center point for the brewing industry, and one of the reasons a lot of people gave is, look, people came to Colorado to do their own thing. They came to get out and to raft and to ski and to be outdoors, and these were people who didn't like the typical confines of society, and they didn't like the typical confines of American beer in the 70s and 80s, which was boring, light lagers, and so they looked for something different. They helped to feed uh, Colorado, and they helped, to, you know, a lot of them helped to start breweries as well, and I think our connection between the go-for your in outdoors life and and our beer industry is actually pretty close.
0: It makes total sense. Yeah, they're totally interconnected. Uh, all right, let's let's back up this conversation eight months, and I'm going to ask you and to kind of put this put you on the on the spot here. February March 2020. How was craft beer poised to deal with what's going on now, and how was it not? What were the strengths? What were the weaknesses going into? What we're seeing, let's not even talk about right now, but as we moved into it, what did you learn business wise, industry wise in those first one or two months?
2: I I think uh, the interesting trend that I had been following and writing about for the past couple of years that that was both explains how it was poised to deal and not to deal with it was the movement away from large national breweries, and, and in Colorado's case, that's from, you know, Coloradans drinking out of state beers in many ways, um, and towards uh, towards local breweries. And so people in Colorado and in states across the country had suddenly decided, okay, I may not be drinking, you know, the, the Sierra Nevadas of the world as much as I used to, but I'm gonna go to my local brewery, which is now 400. I mean, you can't, you can't go anywhere in the state where there's not a local brewery. Good Lake City has a local brewery, and it's the most remote city in the lower 48 states. Um, and, uh, and so in that way, it, Colorado was set up well because people were still willing, once coronavirus hit, once brewery taproom shut down, to drive down to their local brewery and to buy things. Now, not as much as they were willing to plug in their orders to, to Molly's or to other liquor stores. And to say, okay, I want this. I'm going to drive through. You're going to put it in my car. And I'm going to get out of there without touching you. Um, but it had developed that sense. We are going to buy local. We are going to support local. And and, and I think that's why you've seen such a shockingly low number of breweries close. Um, 4% was the uh, the increase in breweries nationally from the first half of 2019 to the first half of 2020. Colorado tracked pretty closely with that. Um, and, and that's because I think so many people were still willing, even these brewers were not making as much money, they were still willing to go and, and buy there. That said, the same trend is why some breweries are 50, 60, 70% down this year, because they've been so used to growing their tap rooms and opening second and third and th- fourth tap rooms versus investing the money in distributing their beer because they figured their beer doesn't go anywhere beyond the state borders at this point without running into troubles uh, with, with customers, um, that, that they couldn't – Colorado breweries couldn't quickly pivot and say, okay, I'm in stores and I'm going to put more into production of cans And so a lot of breweries saw themselves hurting then, and and breweries that had just gotten into stores were hurting the most because that's when liquor stores were saying no, we don't want the new stuff, we want the tried and true. And and you look at it, I mean, uh, Fat Tire and Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, I mean these these beers sold like they never have before over the first couple months of the pandemic, Um, and it's the reason that a brewery like Intrepid Sojourner Project, or I guess they were called Next Stop Brewing by the time they went under, had to go under because They had bet on going into stores, but they weren't in long enough uh, to establish their brand in stores. So, So Colorado breweries knew to bring people in to buy their beers, but they weren't in enough stores to take advantage of the change in consumer buying habits early in the pandemic.
0: I mean, we've talked to Ken Hire at Tivoli a couple times since the pandemic started, um, and it makes me think of the importance of that 12-pack, whether it be the Tivoli kind of Brewers 12-pack, whether it be the Odell you know, IPA 12-pack. Uh, are you seeing those numbers, I guess, over the last eight months of that 12-pack? Is that just a myth? That we are trying to kind of spin on this no. show and our friends. No, that is okay. No, so. it is
2: absolutely Bart Watson, who's the chief economist for the Brewers Association, told me that that it is um, the 12 pack is way up in sales this year, and I think breweries that are taking advantage of it by not saying, "Okay, here's 12 of." X brand of beer, yeah. but saying here is, a, you know, a multiple uh, did that. In fact, I just wrote a blog this week um, uh, about how much I appreciated that and things like Oscar blues, new IPA 12 pack, which yeah. is four different IPAs. It's like you get what you want uh, going to a bar, except you don't have to try to run the menu. You can just get a 12 pack. Uh, and bring it back. So no, twelve packs are big. Uh, I just spoke to the uh, the head of Breckenridge Brewery the other day for a story. He said their 15 pack is what has maintained them, and they're actually up in sales this year versus past years because people want to kind of sell her up and, and get those larger packs with a
1: variety of beers. I mean, it's, it's almost like beer. it's almost like ordering a flight. Is that I mean, is that kind of a comparison? I mean, yeah, if you, that's if you can't experience a flight in the brewery. Buy a 12 pack and and get four beers.
2: That's absolutely the way I look at it, because, I mean, if you, if you really want to run the, the table of the brewery, you're going to go and you're going to buy a number of three-ounce samplers and see how many you can try and then still safely make it out of there. Um, with a mixed 12-pack or a mixed 15-pack, boom, you can do that at, at home at this point. Not as many beers, but still more of a variety. I think some work better than others. I think the, the, the mixed 12-packs that, that throw in seltzers and double IPAs may not quite know who their customers are. Um, but, but the ones that, that kind of focus that product a little bit better are great. And the other thing that I think has been great um, is that you'll stop in a brewery these days and they will allow you to, I've noticed more breweries allow you to mix your own four packs, for yeah. example, of 16 oh. or 19.2 ounce beers. And therefore if you can't drink your way through that menu, because you're just going for, for a beer, you don't want to stay there forever. You can take more variety home as well. And I think that's, that's been selling well at a number of smaller breweries
0: go back to March real quick we talked about I mean you kind of alluded to different kinds of models but you didn't articulate the specific kind of model can you give us examples of those other than Next Stop who I mean, is like a Denver Beer Co. poised to make this like in March? Is it a Denver Beer Co.? Is it an Odell that, that's going to succeed there and maybe not like a, a next stop? Um, uh, and a, Wood, a Woods boss is really, really primed to be able to make it through. Like what, 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 are we ex- what should we expect in that moment? Not now, but in that moment in, in March and April. In March and April, the people that were poised to make it the best were actually
2: the legacy big name brewers yeah. who had struggled in, in more recent years. I mean, uh, if you look at the, the new Belgiums, the Odells, the, the Great Divides, who had seen sales numbers plateau or drop or especially out-of-state sales numbers drop they suddenly were the ones that when people didn't want to stand in a store very long would go in and say oh i know titan ipa oh i know fat tire i'm gonna get that i'm gonna get the hell out of the store um and so i i think that those are the ones that succeeded well The, the big names did very well and the local breweries that had extreme neighborhood support the ones where you could go in and say, okay, look, it's down the block. And, and especially, I will say this, especially those in residential neighborhoods, the breweries that struggled. And, and, and I remember this conversation with the owner of Dos Luces Brewery, who was down 85% at one point in April, because he was on the route that people drove from downtown yeah. to home, and they would stop in and get stuff. Well, when they're not going into their office, he's not doing that business anymore. The ones who are in local areas, like where I live out here in the suburbs uh, of Jefferson County, those did a little bit better because people could still pick up from their, you know, in basement desks, go down and and get a beer and then come back
1: home. I think about like, it was was a lunch break. It was a lunch break for me. It wasn't, it wasn't the drive home at the end of the day or it wasn't a happy hour meeting. Yeah. Um, And I mean. It, it was I, for, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was, for me, it was my social hour. I would go in, um, because the other thing that was kind of tough to see is you would go into these breweries, and for March, April, May, the only people that were in the breweries were the owners and the head brewer, because they, they had to furlough the rest of the staff. Um, but I knew if I went in there, I could see someone I knew, I could talk to them, and that was the only socialization I was getting at that point with a live human being that wasn't over a screen. And so I think that helped uh, brewers who had a great neighborhood connection maintain a little bit better uh, business as well. Makes total sense.
1: All right, I can get- I can see a Judd or a, or or another destination or commuter brewery um, being the being the ones that had to think fast and, and adapt or pivot better than than a Green Mountain that I can ride my bike to or uh, you know uh, I, I, who's who's the one in. With the dog, the dog friendly one that we met with in early on in quarantine Sam so oh, uh, that, uh, that was Col- in Col- in the neighborhood. Col- yeah, oh, coal yeah. mine.
2: Yeah, coal mine. Yeah. And, and I talked to them too. They, and they had talked about how their, their business was down. Everyone's business was down, but it was a matter of how much can you stabilize it and wait for people to come back, which is something they got up until this week.
1: Uh, yeah. How does how does this week's newest kick in the nuts um What do you think? I mean, how do we see this play out long, you know, long term and long term now is what two to six weeks because because you can't you can't plan beyond that anymore. What does that do for for our breweries and our bar and and restaurant and, and distillery friends? Here's the good thing about this right
2: now is that most breweries had adapted in the early months of the pandemic. So breweries that didn't have a crowler filler went out and invested in it. Um, And most breweries have the infrastructure now to be able to fill to go beers. That said, I mean, it's just human nature. People are going to to batten down at this point. Uh, you know, I think if you are not able to welcome people, particularly on your patios, which is where I've spent, you know, the, the, the summer and the early fall was not inside breweries, but on their patios. Um, that's just going to be tougher. Um, you're not going to have as many excuses to go out to a place. You're not going to be able to meet a friend between your house and their house. And here's that brewery go-to. Now you're kind of in a more circular pattern. Um, breweries are going to struggle for the next year. And, and not only that, um, here's, here's a key difference, too. In March and April, when they shut down, they were struggling getting ready to go into their good season. Now they are going to struggle getting ready to go into their off season. This is the time of year when they're already not going to be selling in January and February. So if they have bad months in November, December, it's going to be really rough. Um, we're going to lose more breweries. There's no way of sugarcoating that. It's just a matter of, of how many are going to be able to pull through this. How many have have prepared enough for this, that they saved up and they've, they've, they've transitioned their business model and they've figured out delivery uh, through, through apps like uh, Arrived and others that have kind of offered people the, the chance to either order beer for delivery or order online so they can pick up. Um, I hope the brewers have transitioned to a more portable uh, existence now because um, if they haven't, it's going to be a rough
0: four months. Are you, are you predicting the can shortage that we saw in March and April? Is that going to happen or is everybody poised for this a little better than we were eight months ago?
2: I think we're poised for this. I mean, I think we're poised to not run out of cans, not run out of toilet paper, not run out of the things that we didn't know that we desperately needed until we desperately needed them. So I think the world is, is ready for, um, whatever the next shutdown looks like a little bit better. I mean, that's not going to help people save jobs, uh, but it's going to help you know, manufacturers know what's needed to be out there. So I don't think we're going to run into quite the same can shortages at this point. And, and frankly, one of the things that we've seen come back during this is that brewers who ran into problems with cans decided to start bottling again. Left hand is a good example. They put more of their beers in bottles and people had moved away from them because it was a little bit more expensive. It was, it was harder to trim transport Um, you know their bottles just way more than cans uh, and it's not quite as environmentally friendly but when you're down to either this beer goes into a bottle or doesn't go into anything the hell with it it's going into a bottle and brewers still have that available to them.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that too Ed because I was going to ask the same question in in relationship to cans versus glass I talked to a, a, a client friend at Wild Blue Yonder just the other day and he said that one of the things that saved them was investing in glass before the pandemic even came around they were getting ready to do bottle age stuff and things like that and they said you know what we're just going to go glass all the way until we get a better grip on what cans are going to look like so that's awesome i know sam's got some uh, some political theory he wants to bounce off you here you know we're we're not talking trump versus biden i think we're more like uh, uh bud light you know tastes greater less filling so
0: no, I just wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. I mean, knowing you're kind of a politics walk, what, what happens in terms of, I guess, what are you hearing in terms of expectations for changes to how craft beer is regulated and craft spirits are regulated in the state, in the country as we move forward? Is it, Are we ever going to go back from direct delivery or is that something that's going to open? Like what, what's going to happen? What are you hearing? What's the CBG doing? What's Shawnee doing as we kind of move forward?
2: Well, the thing is, direct delivery is going to be allowed right now through June 30th. That was uh, cemented in the bill that was passed last year. But even as that bill passed, a number of legislators said there's a problem with this bill. It should go longer or it should be permanent. Now, we're going to run into opposition um, from the Colorado Licensed Beverage Association because, frankly, if you go to more and more direct delivery from restaurants and from liquor, uh, from breweries, that's going to make liquor stores a little bit less relevant. Um, And so I think there's going to be some middle ground. I would not be surprised to see that extended for another year, especially if, you know, we get into, you know, February and March and the pandemic is still raging and restrictions are still raging, but um i think you're going to see efforts to open that up uh, because delivery services are going to define the future in many ways i mean people have gone to a situation where they're not going back surveys show that 80 percent of people say they will continue ordering more to-go food from restaurants even after there's a vaccine and we return to some kind of normal that's got to be very true i haven't seen the polls but it's got to be very true with uh uh, with, with beer and with wine and with spirits as well. So I think there's going to be some efforts made to make delivery a more permanent part of, uh, of this. Um, and, and I think that's the, the biggest change. I, I mean, we've heard for years, there's going to be efforts to, to make, um, cross production more, more feasible. Um, you know, your, your listeners may know this, they may not, but uh, for example, you can't brew, um, a uh a cider and a a beer in the same place because cider is wine and beer is beer and and therefore they have to be brewed in two separate facilities even if they're located next door to each other um so i I think there will be continued efforts to simplify those kind of things too because people just see look it's it's necessary at this point we've got to we've got to cut some of these old laws and we've got to simplify things so um (laughs) That's that's my guess.
0: Who who's the mouthpiece for that? Who's the who's the one to show just how, how arbitrary those delineations are? Is it is it a person like you? Is it a Shawnee Adelson who's a friend of the show? Don't worry, you're not going to hurt her feelings. But or is it the Brewers? Is it the winemakers, the cideries? Who who like who needs to be at the forefront of this? Is it everybody? It's got to be the people who run the businesses.
2: Um, You know, as much as I'd like to take credit for things, I'm not going to make that difference in in my reporting. It's got to be the people who go in, especially with a governor who is a who is an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, he understands, hey, these laws are stupid and they're antiquated, which is, you know, he's he's an internet uh, business runner, Um, and so and so he could understand those kind of things and push them forward. So I think the business people have to be the ones to say, can we get rid of this? Can we get that we're not getting rid of the three-tier system you know as much as people may hate that that is going to stay but there are little things that can be changed that I think have an opportunity in the next year.
0: Jay I know if you need to run go for it I want to pick Ed's brain just a little bit longer here from here for five minutes we've talked about breweries we have talked about craft beer but what happens to restaurants in Colorado across the country now is it is I mean what, what do you expect in terms of the business model of a Frank Bonanno and, and, and everything that goes on. Is, is that gone? I mean, what happens? I don't know, but they're in worse shape than
2: breweries. Um, and, really? and the reason I say that is that breweries have a separate outlet. I mean, you know, you could get beers into stores. You could train people to come and pick them up and go home. Um yeah. In, in in September and October, a, um, a survey that was sent to me, a study that was sent to me by Toast, which is a point of sale system for restaurants, showed that in Colorado, 67 to 80 percent of sales on any given day were from dine-in customers. Restaurants did not transition people to being to thinking first. About ordering out. Now, I think our younger uh, listeners probably do that. Uh, they're used to ordering out, um, although they're probably used to ordering out on DoorDash or Uber Eats or something like that. That is, you know, just gores the restaurant industry with the high fees that they charge to them. Um, but uh, but but most restaurants have not been able to make the transition like breweries have in getting people to think about, oh, I'll still pick up even though you're locked down. Um, They're going to suffer and we're going to start seeing restaurants close at a picked up pace in the coming months. And um, restaurants that have had a deep bank account, restaurants that somehow know how to connect with the surrounding community who might be able to walk there and pick up their meals, they, they'll be okay, but a lot of restaurants are going to suffer, particularly those whose model is, I'm going to bring you in, I'm going to sit you down, I'm going to treat you nice, I'm going to have, you know, the, the way to recommend this wine. Um, Full-service restaurants are, are in for a reckoning, and there's no way to get past that.
1: So heard scary uh, I heard a scary statistic the other day that's, that said that if restaurants shut down completely again, that something like 80 percent may not come back is i mean is that that kind of aligns with what you're saying here yeah just just did a
2: survey from november 4th to 12th um in which they showed that if restaurants shut down again which you know starting friday in 15 counties including essentially they are yeah they will um 24 say they got a month left in them that's it that's uh Um, and, and 73% say if it's not changed in six months, they're gone. Now those numbers are inflated because those are the worst case scenarios that restaurants are laying out there. Um, but we're, we're going to see a reckoning here. There's no doubt about it. You know, if you like your local restaurant, go down, order from them, order local beer from them and and try to keep them afloat. It's the
1: best we can do right now. Let me, uh, go ahead, James, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. All these closures. You're the you're the DBJ business and beer guy. What's the what's the the trickle down effect in terms of vacancies? Uh, you know, leasing rates, commercial real estate uh, values. How's how's all that play out in the long run from your insider perspective? Uh,
2: I mean, we'll see vacancies that are not going to be easily filled, quite frankly. Um, you know, the, it's you know, typically before this, if a restaurant shut down, a landlord didn't care because six more were going to be trying to move into there right away. Um, now we're not going to see that. Um, you know, we still hear problems with some landlords. But, but a number of other restaurants, including national chains that are based here that I've talked to, said they've actually been able to negotiate with their landlords and say, Look, if I move out, who the hell are you going to get to move in at this point? So um, I I think there's been some come to it on on those relations, Um, but yeah, I mean there there is definitely going to be a trickle down effect. I mean they're they're expecting significant uh, losses in the estimated value of commercial properties uh, next year, um, which we hadn't passed the repeal of the Gallagher amendment, and I'm not going to. Try to get into this one as much, but uh, that was going to lead to problems for schools, fire districts, and 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 other districts as well. Um, and um, and yeah, I mean, people are going to have to rethink the office spaces. Here's who I really worry about for both restaurants and breweries and clubs and retail are the folks who have banked on the idea that I am in a downtown area. I'm surrounded by towers where people are working for 30 floors and they're coming down to shop and they're coming down to eat guess what? That's not happening anymore. You know, I, I just wrote something last week about how Michi, which is a, uh, a wonderful locally owned pizza in Italian place. It has six locations on the front range. They just shut down their downtown Denver store and said, we cannot make it downtown anymore. The other five, which are located in suburbs are up in sales. This That's year. crazy. Downtown areas are about to suffer mightily if people don't return to offices and nobody's going to be back in their office before july at this point
0: Um, so does that i mean obviously that benefits the folks who are in that they're the brewery in the strip mall like does that bring back to i mean i don't know ed we could be wrong but low overhead cheaper rent in certain places around the country that's got to be a good thing right it d- depends where the strip mall is. Okay. Is it in a you know,
2: location that people are going to drive to, to pick up your beer? Um, and, um, a- and are you still competing with, you know, the marijuana farm in the strip mall? But yeah, um, yeah. But, but yeah I mean, it, it does benefit that. I mean, bre- breweries that are in, in really populated downtown areas, downtown Boulder, downtown Denver, uh, downtown Fort Collins, I do worry about them. And I, and I hope they've got a good bank of reserves uh, going into this.
0: Well, good sir, knowing that I've got to go have anniversary dinner, and that Jay's got to go be a dad. Um, anniversary dad. dinner
1: is what you're calling it. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, yeah, I got to
0: watch the new episode of
1: The Undoing. I think tonight, so
0: that's
1: it's a good um, show. It's a good show. Ed's gotta uh, Ed's gotta give us his handles here, so please. that uh, Plug. We, don't, we don't overlook that. Yeah, tell us, away, tell us how to find you, where to read you. Since damn near every freaking news resource I have anymore is pay to play anymore these days i need to know where the free shit is (laughs) but
2: it is and 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 the denver business journal has been pay to play since i've been there and frankly that's right (laughs) i have
1: a business subscription for that so i can justify that yes we do
2: and frankly as you know events go down and advertising goes down more are going to become that way so it's going to be a little bit like local restaurants and local breweries if you support if you like your local news source, support them, subscribe to them. We need that. Um, but you can find me on Twitter, either at ECLoverDenBiz, uh, um, uh, or if you want to just go straight for my beer stuff, Mountain Brew Book, which is MTN Brew Book. Uh, that's where I just write about beer all the time. Uh, my blog is Beer Run blog. That's beerunblog.blogspot.com. It doesn't look pretty, and I don't write about it a lot anymore because I have two little kids, uh, but I try to get on there and write about beer when I can. Uh, and on Facebook, you can, uh, you can look me up just on Mountain Brew. That's, uh, that's my handle. I post a lot of pictures of my kids, but I also write about beer a lot there as well.
0: It's an easy awesome. Google search, too. There aren't a lot of Ed C. lovers, so if you just want to Google Ed C. Yep, lover in no, Denver. You, you, yes, yeah, yeah, but
2: you can't find Ed C. lover on Facebook. You can only find Mountain Brew so yes
0: uh,
2: yeah, so go to, go to mountain brew if you want to follow brew news with well <laughs> there's
1: there's always a glitch right
0: when uh when we're on the back end of this uh we'd love to around the other side of this i guess not the back end the other side of this ed let's well, jay and i will we'll buy you a beer and we'll shoot the shit in person because this was i mean i think we could have gone two or three hours jay trader don't you agree
1: yeah, I, I'd I'd love to sit down and just follow Ed for a day once uh, once yeah. he's actually back on the beat, live and in person again. Because everything he's writing about is probably the shit that I'm reading two or three days later. So yes. it's it's a perfect <laughs> fit as far as I'm concerned.
2: Um,
1: well, and thank
2: you. I, I look forward to sitting down and grabbing beers with you and with a lot of people after all this. Um, but uh, but yeah, thank you for having me on. And and please, if you're uh, if you're listening to this think local think about supporting your local businesses that's that's not a a political statement it's just a fact that we're about to go into a long winter here if you love somebody and you want to see them stay open just you know just remember them in the coming
1: months
0: i have nothing Inside, ed, much better than that no thank you guys have a great night and be safe everybody take care Yep. cheers ed take bye. care bye, bye, Appreciate ed. You, thank ed.
1: you uh, uh,